All right. Thank you, guys. And, um, man, if you didn't catch, <clears throat> you're probably um, going to hear a lot of, uh, be led through a lot of songs, a lot of worship that engages with the fact that Christ alone, um, as we've had a couple of songs already that really that was the entire emphasis, and there'll be one more when we're done here. Um, uh, that's going to, you're going to hear a lot of that because that's really the theme that you're going to pick up in John over and over again, <laughs> not just because you're at church. You're like, well, yeah, Chris, we're at church. But, the, but actually, the book of John, this is going to be a key theme, and we're going to really hit it hard today and building on that. Um, so when you're singing songs like Christ is Enough or Christ Alone or In Christ Alone or um, just be emphasizing, like we're, we are learning and growing, hopefully, in our hearts through the songs we're singing and through what we're studying and learning. And, uh, and I hope, I really strongly encourage you, if you're not um, on your own uh, during the week reading through the book of John, let me really recommend that. And that's a great way to continue to connect uh, to what's going on in here on Sunday mornings as well. So um, I also want to take a second. So I, I'm really, um, uh, this is one of those kind of funny things. Like I'm, I'm super regularly just there, there are moments I just find myself kind of filled with pride. Um, I think in a good way that I'm super proud of this church and, uh, and the ministry that is accomplished here and through this church. And, and just as, as we're kind of wrapping up some, kind of this crazy summer season that we experience, and, um, and we, have, we have done so much different uh, engagement in ministry in the kingdom, um, even in other parts of the world. And, and I know that just last week, when we were here last week, there was a group doing a track, Teen Reach Adventure Camp, wrapping that up. And, um, and you, you know you're running a special kind of camp, a, a really um, powerful kind of camp, when you have 40-something campers and 80-something volunteers um, running that camp. And so that's, that's what was happening over the last couple of weeks. And um, I'm super proud of you guys who invested um, a week of your life, um, hot and sweaty and, and, and not a lot of thanks into that. And, uh, and also I was struck this week, and again, I'm, I'm admitting that I was just kind of filled with uh, a sense of pride this week in our church. Um, so um, many of you may have gotten on your social media the, um, the Women of Hope uh, stuff that was coming out, that came out this week, and the, um, uh, this is, this is, these are ladies who are connected to the ministry for the silent, which is a ministry about protecting and avoiding and, and keeping um, um, kids and, and youth from being exploited. And so they, they came out, they, they chose a handful of women from our community and said, uh, man, these about, I don't know, what was it, about 30-ish women? And said, this is, these are some ladies who have invested in this ministry to such a degree that um, that we feel like we want to emphasize them and draw attention to what they're doing and to let them be representatives of this. And, uh, and so imagine my pride as I'm going down through this list of ladies and six of them, uh, of these 30, are, are key parts of our church. And, um, and so I'm proud of you ladies and uh, for being a part of this. Thank you. Um, we talk about... Uh, you, you will hear us say over and over again that every member is a minister, and I don't believe that's just a member of this church, although that's where, uh, where I have some say, but um, outside of just as the, being a member of the body of Christ means you are a minister, and obviously, hopefully that means here or whatever church is your home church that you are ministering, and you're having an impact, and you're engaging and leading in, the, in all those different ways. That being said, hopefully it transcends just this location too. You are you are doing that in the community and in other ways, and so that's cool to, see, um, cool to see an example of that. I know that there are dozens of examples that I could emphasize. This just came up this week, and I thought, man, I've got to say something about it. So, so again, I'm proud of you ladies. And, um, and then also, speaking of ladies who I'm proud of today, is Ginger's birthday. So, um, <laughs> yay! Okay. <laughs> um, all right, John, John chapter 6. Have you got your Bibles? 
Um, if you don't have one and you want one, there's one in the pew and probably in front of you or somewhere in front of you. Somebody can get you one. Just kind of wave at people and they'll pass one to you. And if you don't have one at home, you can take that one with you. Um, John 6, I'm going to read the passage that we're going to be studying today and then uh, we'll run through it. John 6, perceiving then, starting in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because there was a strong wind blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I, not be afraid. They were glad to take him to the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found them on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, we're going to try to get through that today. And as Bob pointed out last week, and if you did not, we're not here to hear um, the sermon last week on the passage before this, the feeding of the 5,000, um, which again, <clears throat> as he pointed out, is a misnomer. It probably should be the feeding of the 10 or maybe 20,000. Um, thousands of people with, um, with five barley loaves and two small fish. That's going to become an event that is going to dictate really where the book of John goes for a little while which you can totally imagine. This is a big deal. This is a, this is a pretty impressive miracle. If you've been to church your whole life, this, is, this seems kind of normal. You've heard about it all your life. But if you hadn't been going to church, or if this was done in front of you, you would suddenly think, that's a big deal. So if we said, hey, last week, we, we, um, this week we forgot to get donuts, but we have one cup of donut holes from last week left over that somehow got missed. Apparently, I didn't find them during the week, and so they're still here on Sunday morning. So on Sunday morning, they start filling up little cups with donut holes. Now, they've only got four to start with, and they keep filling them, and they keep filling them, and they're handing them out, and, they, and before we, we all eat all the donut holes that we want, and then there's still a whole shelf full of little cups of donut holes afterwards, we would probably talk about that every once in a while, don't you think? We'd probably reckon back to that day, like, you remember the donut hole day? Yeah, don't forget the donut hole day, right? This would be a, we would come back to that. Sure enough, this is going to continue to be a theme for a while. Now, as we get to the end of this, you're going to see Jesus is going to continue to teach this theme right until this theme causes all the people to abandon him. Because at some point, this is going to fall apart. We're not going to get there yet. We've got a few more weeks to get to there, but that's, that's coming, just a little foreshadowing, so you'll know this high point is going to not stay a high point very long. Um, in Samaria, it was all about water. Remember the woman at the well and the fact that Jesus is going to bring together um, a, new, a new living water out of us. We become like springs ourselves. Obviously, that's an important picture to the church, this idea of living water. Um, in fact, some churches still today build their entire name around the idea of a spring of living water. Like we do, you may have heard of one, right? So <clears throat> that's a, that's, this bread of life concept is also going to be a main theme within Christianity for all time. Um, this is part of it. And you can imagine why. Water is important. Bread is important. These are, these are big needs. 
And especially if you live in a third world nation, which even a first world nation 2,000 years ago was a third world nation um, by our standards. So that meant that water, bread, these were daily concerns. You had to live near water. We just got back from the Dominican. When you're in the third world parts of the Dominican, their villages are set on the, right on the banks of the rivers because that's, they've got to have water. The water is a daily concern. Food is a daily concern. And so when you're living in a culture like that, you've got to have those things ready. Jesus knows that. So the after effects of this miracle are going to continue to ripple for a while. The people have decided, wow, this guy just fed us all. We're going to talk more about this. He must be the prophet that the old covenant talked about. He must be the guy who we're supposed to be looking for. And this, this prophet, capital P prophet, is who they thought they were supposed to be looking for. We could go into a lot of detail about this. We're not going to, but it turns out that the person they were looking for was the Messiah. The prophecies about the prophet were also about the Messiah. They didn't know that at this time. So they thought the prophet had to come first. And since that prophet was John the Baptist, Jesus also fulfills some of those. But that's what they thought. Well, they go, wow, this guy's awesome. He is exactly the kind of guy we want leading us. Why? Because he feeds us. He gives us stuff. Good thing we've grown up a lot in the last 2,000 years, right? How do, who do we want to put in charge? Well, the guy who's going to give us stuff. That's what we want. That's a, that's a big deal still today. It's a big debate in our country still today. Don't we need to put the people in charge who are going to give us stuff? Jesus says, it says in verse 15, that Jesus perceived. He perceived they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. So he vanished. He withdrew again to the mountain. This is a desperate and needy people. When you read through the New Testament, do you, do you get that sense? If you, if you don't, you need to be getting that sense. Every time Jesus shows up in a new town, who is he greeted by? He's usually greeted by a demon-possessed person. Can you imagine living in an era and in a culture and in a community where there are openly demon-possessed people just wandering around? Sick, broken, and, and oppressed people everywhere. They hated and feared their government. They were downtrodden, afraid, and hungry. And they, for the first time, many of them probably in their entire lives, the day before where we are now, ate, quote, their fill. That's a big deal. This was possibly, for many of them, the only time in their entire life they had ever eaten until they wanted to stop eating that most of them would never have experienced that feeling of being full. I mean, in America, we have that every day, sometimes two or three times a day, right? I mean, we talk about having to be rolled out of the Mexican restaurant, right? We talk about, like, I could not fit one more chip with salsa in my mouth. Okay, I'll take a sopapilla. I can, I can do that. I can, I, can, I can find a place to put that like we, there is, there, we're so used to this. That's part of the issues that we face with weight issues. But there's, there's always more food. There's always more. We leave table after table after table with food on it, don't we? That is not the normal experience for human beings today, much less 2,000 years ago. They didn't have food left over. You ran out of food before you ran out of hungry and most of them would never have experienced in their entire life being full. This is, it's, a, it's a cool thing when you get to experience that for the first time. I grew up in Nacogdoches where we, um, though we had plenty to eat, our fireworks show every year just was lame. 
It was terrible. Every year we would go to there and we would go out to the softball fields and we'd, we'd fight through traffic and all it was, and you would sit out there and I mean, and you'd, you'd, you'd wait for 45 minutes or an hour and then the, the fireworks would last like 12 minutes, 10 minutes, like, and like, and it's time to leave. As a kid, I remember thinking like, I will ne- there will never come a day when I will have enough fireworks. Like as a kid, I always wanted more, 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 more. Even going to Disney World as a kid and seeing their fireworks there, I was like, yep, yeah, nope, still more. I need more, like, Need more fireworks. It was not until a few years ago here, the first time ever that I found myself watching fireworks and going, I mean, they could cut to the end now. It'd be okay to, I feel, I'm, I'm ready to move to the finale. Like I'm, that'll be awesome. But I'm, I have never, ever been saturated with fireworks before in my life. <coughs> you, I don't know what that is. That is a, that's an amazing experience when you get to do that. These people got to be filled with food. We can only imagine the kind of endorphins that they were feeling going home full, that they went home full. But there's a big, big problem. He doesn't let them make him king. He goes and hides. We'll get to the problem here in a minute. He vanishes, hides back up on the mountain where he had been teaching them, where he had fed them. Then when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, verse 16. And got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now it was dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of the strong wind. When they'd rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I. Don't be afraid. They were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the other side where they were going. Now Matthew and Mark, (coughs) who also referenced this story, um, indicate that he told them to get into the boat. He told them, listen, I'm not coming with you. You get in the boat, and you go to Capernaum. You get out of here, I'm going to spend some time alone. And, and they, by this point, have learned not to ask questions, so they just go. So they're out there, they're, maybe they're fishing, maybe they're taking their time, maybe they're thinking he's going to call them back to shore, something like that. You can pretty much see the shore from any part of Galilee. And then it begins to get dark, and then a storm begins to set in. So let's, let's throw, throw up the map of the Sea of Galilee, if you've got that handy. So here you have part of Israel, and the Sea of Galilee is right there, kind of in the center part of this map, right there. So you can see Capernaum, the little green dot there. That's where they're going. That's where Jesus hung out most of the time, in the northern part um, of the Sea of Galilee. This passage references Tiberias, which is right there. Okay, So Tiberias was being built at the time that Jesus was born. Um, Tiberias was a city that was being built. It was already there. It was like a village, and it was turned into a city because of some of the Caesars at the time that Jesus was being born. It's likely that Joseph, for example, may have worked in Tiberias for a while. Um, so that's what you're dealing with. At some point, they're, so they're out here on the Sea of Galilee. Now notice, so you have this cool Mediterranean Sea right here, and you have the deserts over here, Syria, etc. these big hot deserts. What would you guess a cool Mediterranean and a hot desert creates in this region? Yeah, some pretty good storms. Impressive wind. Pretty much nonstop, there's some wind. Now also, what you can't tell very well from this map is that these are all cliffs all around the Sea of Galilee. To drive down into the Sea of Galilee means to do switchbacks. It's all switchbacks down to the Sea of Galilee from the hillsides on either side. In fact, these are the Golan Heights up here. So these are the high regions because this is probably a crater. The Sea of Galilee is probably a crater, either from a great earthquake or an overflow of lava or even a volcano. It's a crater. And so it's, it's down in the middle. So what do you think happens down in this little cauldron when this cool air and this hot air mix? Oh, here. 
I've got a video that shows an example <clears throat> of what this can look like. So remember that the Sea of Galilee is about the same size as Lake Palestine. It's eight miles by about 13 miles. But when you get some wind in there and it comes whipping down out of the hillsides, and it's, it's gonna, the camera's going to pan here to the right in just a second, and when it does, you're going to see the storm coming over the hilltop and how bad it's about to get. There you go. So this is, this is serious stuff. Now imagine, throw the picture of the boat up. So a few years ago, a first century fishing boat was found on the Sea of Galilee. It had been buried for years near Magdala. And it was found, and they, they got it, and you can go see it now. This is what it looked like, okay? Now for those of you who are fishermen or boat type people, here's what I want you to know. Every one of those little things, those little pieces with the black lines and the numbers all over, those are separate pieces of wood. These are all the different types of wood found in this first century boat. So little tiny pieces of wood glued together. They weren't nailed together. They were glued together. That's how these boats were made. Does this seem like a good idea? No. Can you understand why they were afraid in that kind of a storm, in the dark, in this kind of a boat? And the way they repaired this boat, apparently, was they just glued a new piece of wood down. It's not a good idea. This is, so this is an actual first century, they call it the Jesus boat because it technically could be the boat Jesus was in from the right time period. Um, the statistics aren't great on that, but it could be. Um, uh, so that's, that's what you're dealing with with what they were. Now do you see why? You have the context for being in that type of wind and waves in this kind of a boat in the dark. And of course, you're talking about first century dark. Those of you who have been on the Israel trip with us, one of the things we like to do is we go out at night on the Sea of Galilee and we pay the boat guy a little extra because they're not supposed to do this and we have him shut off all the lights. And even in this century, it is dark on the Sea of Galilee at night. Even though you've got the lights of Tiberias and other places, electric lights, it's dark. That's what you're dealing with. Now, now that you have that context, here's the thing I want to ask you. So you notice that story, right? Jesus comes out, he walks on the water. What's missing from the story? the John version of this story. Anybody? Peter is. Now, why? So Peter, you know, we know, Jesus, we know from the other Gospels, Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water too, right? So decades later, John's writing his Gospel, and he leaves out that part. No one knows why. Is, is it because John's like, you know, the whole me staying in the boat when Peter got out of the boat? We don't need to talk about that. We don't... <laughs> Remember, this is John who's going to brag about running faster than Peter later in this book. There's literally a point when Peter, he says, hey, two disciples ran on, and, and one of them outran the other one, and then when Peter showed up, it's like, well, then who ran faster, John? Hmm, like two disciples minus Peter equals, and so it's like, maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe John's like, no, don't need to mention that. Don't need to mention that part. Um, it's possible. Uh, and, and by the way, I actually mean it's possible that that's why. I I'm okay with that. Um, Another thing that a lot of writers will point out is that, is that the book of John doesn't have parables in it. And there's really no parables in the book of John. And John seems to use the signs of Jesus to teach some of the same lessons that the other gospel writers reference the parables to teach. Because remember, John's got a lot to do in a short amount of time. And it feels to him like a very short amount of time. He's only got a few pages in order to write. So he's being very careful about this. 
Maybe by John leaving Peter out of this story, it allows us to identify with the story better or to focus on what the point of the story that John wants us to get is. So instead of going, wow, that Peter guy, we instead in this story going, wow, that Jesus guy. Or we're able to identify it with ourselves even a little better. We are the ones toiling. We are the ones who are afraid. And we knew what we were doing. These are guys who live on this, on this body of water. They know their way around. The, the, it told us in the last section that this is near Passover, which means it's a full moon. So they're out at night. That shouldn't be a bad deal. It's a good time to fish. Full moon, Sea of Galilee. Everything's all nice and calm. These guys know what they're doing. And the next thing you know, a storm blows in. Just when you thought you knew what you were doing, all of a sudden things spin out of your control. Anybody? Do you identify with this? You're supposed to. John wants you to identify with this. He wants you, I believe, he wants you to connect with this the way we connect to the parables in Jesus' in in Jesus's teaching in the other Gospels. I think John wants us to connect with these miracles. We go, that sounds familiar. I know what I'm doing. I've got everything under control. It's all going the way I think it should be going. Bam, now it's not. One little thing and suddenly it's not in control. It's an exhausting night. We know from the other Gospels that Jesus shows up between 3 and 6 a.m. They've been there since it fell, since darkness fell. That's a long night to be out on the Sea of Galilee in this type of a storm, nearly dying pretty constantly, and Jesus suddenly shows up. Isn't it interesting that when you read this in the book of John, it's almost incidental that he shows up walking on the water. There's not a lot of, of tension drawn to that. It doesn't seem like what matters is that has how Jesus shows up, but that he shows up. Jesus shows up. It's worth mentioning. He's walking on the water like it's dry land. That's pretty amazing. But what seems significant is the fact that they're in trouble, they're about to die, and Jesus shows up. The conclusion of the story isn't the end of the storm, like when he calms the sea. The conclusion of this story is when he shows up. Jesus shows up, and the rest of the story, they fast forward the rest of the story. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus shows up. It's I. Christians, we need Jesus. And fundamentally, that's it. Everything else that we say we need, we have to say, I need it for this. Because the only thing we fundamentally need is, is Almighty God. That's what we need. Yes, we need food, air, water, shelter, in order to stay alive. But understand, staying alive on earth is not a need for Christians. That's not something we have to have. It's not required. We can do without it. We can even live without it. Hopefully, all of us will live without life here on earth at some point. Therefore, there's a, a transcendent need, all other needs that, you know, some of you know I have a kind of an eccentric attitude about the word need. I don't, I don't like the word need at all. I think, it's, I think it's abused in almost every area, especially psychology where I do a lot of my work. It's, it's, it's really abused, overused, and now, now almost no, means nothing anymore. Regardless, they then, they, he, Jesus shows up and things are fine. Does not necessarily, does a storm go away? Is there whatever, what matters is Jesus shows up and now they're okay. It tells us immediately they went to Capernaum. And, and by the way, the language there doesn't necessarily mean another miracle. Some people believe this is another miracle. Like they were teleported automatically to Capernaum. Possible. 
Or is John saying, and once Jesus showed up, everything was fine. It was, it, it, after that, it's all, it was all fun and, and games until we got to Capernaum. Like it, you wouldn't believe how easy a trip it was. It can be either one, um, apparently. And, and it doesn't matter really which one that it is. But what we see here is, once again, Jesus Christ living out the God of the, tw- of the Psalms. Um, when Jesus calms the sea, and in this passage, we see Jesus living out Psalm 107. I'm going to read it to you as part of it to you. But just like the 23rd Psalm was being lived out when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he sees they're like sheep without a shepherd. He has them sit down on green grass. He prepares a table for them, etc. Now we see the 107th Psalm. I'm going to focus on verses 23 through 31. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works of the deep. For he commanded and raised a stormy wind, which lifted the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. We want calm, but we need Jesus. On the next day, the crowd remained on the other side of the sea, that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone, etc. Let me just summarize this very easily. This part's pretty clear. Word had spread. Jesus had fed all these people miraculously. And all around the Sea of Galilee, people who had been with him the day before, plus all the new people who had heard about it, they all come looking for him. But there's a weird thing going on. They knew where he was. They knew where he fed everybody. They knew there was only one boat there. And they knew the disciples left in that boat without him. Well, it makes sense then. They start looking for him there, right? Well, he didn't leave with them. There's only been one boat. So they go looking around. They can't find him. They start talking about amongst themselves, well, those, those boats that come by from Tiberias, maybe, maybe one of those came, somehow came by and picked him up. We don't really know. But then they take those boats from Tiberias and they go on to Capernaum. That's what's going on here. This part's pretty clear. That's his most common stomping grounds. Plus, they probably know that's where the disciples went. So they go, we'll go, look, we'll go talk to the disciples. We'll find out where Jesus is. Um, <clears throat> by the way, Why? Why are they so eager to find Jesus? Because they're hungry. It appears they find him in the synagogue. We're going to see. They find him in the synagogue at Capernaum. The synagogue at Capernaum, um, the one that's there now is a third century synagogue. It's built on top of the first century synagogue. But it's close to the Sea of Galilee. My guess is, and the Sea of Galilee is low right now. My guess is at the time, the sea of, that, that the, that the um, synagogue at Capernaum was almost at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It would have been beautiful. And so Jesus is there in that synagogue, apparently teaching people, and all of a sudden, all these boatloads of people come pulling up to the shore, and they come wandering up to Jesus, and they're going, well, well how, did, how did you get here? Where did you come from? And Jesus is going to respond to them before, I always imagine the disciples going like, you guys won't believe this. Man, before, but before the disciples can say, you guys won't believe about our night, man, our night was crazy. First we were, and then we were here, and then he showed, and then it was, and they want to tell all that. But before the disciples can speak a word, Jesus says what he says. And I think you should hear him speaking with weariness. I think there is a weariness here that Jesus is engaging with. A little, if you will, defeated. 
Like, really? This is the sighing Jesus, the man of sorrows, the man who's always alone even in a crowd. Jesus answered them, truly. And, and I think here, truly, truly feels too biblical. I think it might help you to imagine Jesus answering them, I mean, honestly, you're seeking me. I guess that's a good thing. But you're not even seeking me because of the signs. You're seeking me because you had your fill of the loaves. That's really why you're seeking me. So you're not even here for the show. You're just here for the free buffet. That's, it's it's got to be exhausting for Jesus to realize, I'm trying to build a new kingdom here, and you people can't get past breakfast. But, but notice, this is what's fascinating. So when you go to that Mexican restaurant and you eat more than you possibly should have eaten, eat enough for four people, and you walk away and you say, man, I'm not going to eat for the rest of the week. Man, I, oh my gosh, I can't eat another thing. I, I'm not going to eat for days. And then what happens the next morning? You wake up the next morning and how do you feel? You're hungry. And you may be even extra hungry because of all the food stretching your stomach out, right? You're extra hungry. You're really hungry. These people have never felt full before. But maybe they've never felt this hungry before either. And so they're, they're desperate. We've got to find this Jesus guy. We've got to find Jesus again. You're going to see, this is going to play out in such a way that's so obvious. I mean, it's embarrassing for the people, and by the way, us. But they're so worried about what they're going to get from Jesus that they don't particularly care that it is Jesus. That's not a concern to them. And Jesus is, I think, a little brokenhearted by this. It'd be bad enough if they came going, hey, okay, next miracle, let's see it. Start cranking those things out. I want to see some cool things, right? It's fireworks time. But they're not even there for the fireworks. They're just there for the food. That would have been bad enough. They don't, as, as Bob mentioned last week, they're, they're, not, they're not coming back because there's some kind of extraordinary new thing going on. Oh my goodness, we've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. There must be something very special about this person. There must be very special, something very special about this era in history that we get to experience it. These signs, not just miracles, but signs. They decided to follow him so they could obey him. They weren't coming saying, you're the Christ, teach us. They were coming because they were hungry. And the problem is, listen to this, even food that Jesus gives you that's actually just food, the provision that Jesus gives you that's just a provision, you're going to need that again. You're going to want that again. If you're looking for what comes out of Jesus' hands only rather than Jesus himself, even Food that comes even from Jesus, even miraculous food that comes from Jesus only keeps you full until the next meal. When we find ourselves worshiping what Jesus gives us, we're missing the point. This is tough teaching. It's, it's tough to even engage with. See, this is the part of the problem with the, the um, uh, justice, the social justice version of the gospel. The churches that, that, that say, well, the reason we're here, the only reason we exist is to take care of needy people. We, when we're going to feed the hungry or we're, gonna, we're going to um, uh, make sure that they have uh, clean water, mental wellness, good eyesight, uh, job skills, second languages, education, clean air or air conditioning or medical care or enough food to eat. 
Understand, there's nothing wrong with these. We do all of these. As this church, we do all of these. As the church, we do all of these all over the world. There's nothing wrong with the fact that we're doing them. But if we do them in the name of this church, or in the name of us, or in the name of being American, or in the name of being white, or in the name of a governmental system, or in the name of a political party, we are failing people because these things aren't sufficient Health is not sufficient. Mental wellness is not sufficient. These things aren't sufficient. Only Jesus Christ himself is sufficient. That's a big part of what this story, and it's going to continue to build. If you don't believe it, then you're going to see with this, and you probably see in your own hearts, I hope you do, that you see that what's going to happen is at some point, by the way, Jesus is not going to make them breakfast. He does not feed the people here. But he does offer them himself. And when that happens, when Jesus says, I'm not giving you food, I'm only giving you me, all of them but 12 are going to leave. Everyone's going to abandon him, except the 12. Because they don't want him. They want what he might give them. They want what he might feed them with. So we have to be really careful as we live this out that we don't find ourselves in the same situation. Do we get the chance to transcend the physical? Remember going back, if you've been here week after week, remember we go back to John 3 and Nicodemus could not comprehend the spiritual things that Jesus was talking about. He kept making it physical. And then we meet the woman at the well and she's, she keeps making it a physical issue, not a spiritual issue. And now we're stuck and they're doing it again. And we're going to see it over and over again in the book of John that people are going to miss that they need Jesus. Catch that it isn't even enough for Jesus to give them food, to merely fill their stomachs. And so he doesn't fill their stomachs again. Is that offensive? They're hungry people. And he's not going to feed them. That's hard for us. Because Jesus has, so to speak, bigger fish to fry, right? He instead is going to offer himself something greater We think we need something from Jesus. And of course we do. Everything that we need, we need from Jesus. We're aware that it's not something from Jesus. The things we get from Jesus cannot and must not ever replace Jesus. Let's say that one again. The things we get from Jesus must not ever replace Jesus. So I want you to think about this. What is something that you want from him? Like right now, if you think about it, what's something that you, that you want from Jesus? Probably a good thing, but I'm, I'm going to count to three, and when I get to three, we're all going to shout them out, so you actually need one, like you need to have one in your head, because like, this, really, this is really bombs if no one says anything. Has everybody got one in your mind? You got something in your mind that you want from Jesus? Good? All right, one, two, three. Excellent. All kinds of different things, such that you probably couldn't tell, except maybe one or two people around you, even what they said. These are all things, and probably most of them were good things, and they're good gifts, and God loves to give good gifts. But do not let the pursuit of that replace Jesus. Don't let the pursuit of whatever that is replace him. Only he is sufficient. Love and hope and health and peace and strength and life and friends and acceptance and a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse or children, all of these different things are good things. And when they're understood as gifts, when they're understood as provision, they're good things. 
But when we see them as the end, then we're making a big mistake. Now we're pursuing Jesus for breakfast. We think we want calm waters. This list is going to grow, by the way. We think we want calm waters. We need Jesus. He walks on those kind of waters. You want water, you need Jesus. He turns you into a spring of life. You want bread, full bellies, you need Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is the provision that keeps giving. We're going to have to take Jesus as he is and not as we want him to be. And it's provision as a gift and not as something that we demand. So I, I don't know for you, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't, you've never put your faith in him who would offer so freely himself. Um, maybe that feels even closed-minded to you, that he wouldn't offer all these other things rather than offering himself. But when you have an eternal understanding, everything else kind of fades, I think. So I, I hope that, that as we pray for these things, and it's totally appropriate to ask God for these good gifts. They are good gifts from him. That we recognize they don't replace him. That who we're looking for is him. So if you don't know him, I, I pray that today will be the day that you recognize I'm going to stop pursuing the things of Christ and instead begin to pursue Christ himself and Christ alone. Father, thank you that, that, that you alone are the one who provides. That the triune God is who we need. There's not a what that we need, it's a who and God, it's you. And I pray that even as we have sung and continue to sing about the power of knowing you through your son, Lord, I, I pray that we would continue to give thanks to you through him. God, I thank you that, that, that you offering yourself as the ultimate expression of your love, of really, honestly, fundamentally, all that we need. And I know, Lord, this is a sermon that many people have been at church. They've heard one version or the other of this many, many, many times. And God, we can grow deaf to this. God, I pray that you would instead um, help it to be new in our hearts and our minds and our ears today and this week. That we would pursue you and then accept from you whatever gifts you want to give us. Thank you, Father. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.